because you can be too clever, right? Right. You get so clever that you've drifted from the message. And a lot of messages that I listen to these days by popular evangelical pastors have that problem. They're taking some idea that they've constructed in their mind, and then they'll even search for various translations that might say what they want it to say, and then they kind of reverse engineer it. Uh, I think that is problematic because it leads to a people of God who are not equipped in the sound interpretation of Scripture. Hi, friends. Uh, we're here with Senior Pastor Scott Burkle, pastor at East White Oak Bible Church in Carlock. My name's Treg Whitaker. Welcome, Scott, to another Ask Scott podcast. Glad to be with you today. Yeah, good to have you. I'm looking forward to talking about uh, what you had to preach on Sunday. Now, mm-hmm. uh, in the weeks before this Sunday, yeah. uh, we had looked at what Paul had written to Timothy, and his encouragement to Timothy was to be bold. Yes. And then in this particular text... He's encouraging Timothy uh, to follow something or to be sound about something. So I'm wondering, is uh, boldness more important than soundness? Mm -hmm. Are they equally important? Uh, What are the dangers of being one without the other? Right, right. I think that when we're thinking about the passage that we're at here on being sound or holding on to the sound words and guarding the good deposit entrusted to you. Um, We're talking about kind of the other side of the coin. It's not two different coins, but really one theme. Being bold is how we advance the gospel to others, right? And not being ashamed of the gospel. And then guarding the good deposit or where he says um, to um, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me. He's saying, make sure that while you're being bold with others, you're also keeping it internally strong. Uh, it's, he even talked about that in uh, one of his letters to Corinth, where he says uh, uh, that he doesn't want, after having preached to others, he himself to be disqualified for the prize, 1 Corinthians 9. And... I think that that's something that I talked about a little bit on Sunday of how even preachers are in this day and age coming to a place where I've been a pastor for years and now I've re-deconstructed my faith and that sort of thing. And I think Paul's encouragement here is not just to be bold with the gospel, but also make sure internally you're guarding it. Yeah. Uh, Of course, Timothy was a pastor. So let's talk a little bit about preaching. Sure. Um, In some people's minds, I think be sound equals be boring. Mm -hmm. So is there a place for uh, creativity or being clever in the presentation of sound words? Yeah. So there is a communication event happening when we're preaching. And to the extent that our communication is ineffective, we're not getting the sound words to people. So I would really think more in terms of effectiveness than I would about creativity, um, because you can be too clever, right? Right. You get so clever that you've drifted from the message. And a lot of messages that I listen to these days by popular evangelical pastors 
have that problem. They're taking some idea that they've constructed in their mind, and then they'll even search for various translations that might say what they want it to say, and then they kind of reverse engineer it. Uh, I think that is problematic because it leads to a people of God who are not equipped in the sound interpretation of Scripture. Having said that, it's also not very nice to be boring and to just kind of be as dry as dust. And so the challenge for the pastor is to be uh, sound theologically, sound in his interpretation of Scripture, but to be able to communicate in such a way that it is fresh for the hearers of the moment. And so John Stott wrote this book about preaching called in Between Two Worlds. You're in the world of the Bible. You're trying to take that world and you're looking at the contemporary world and you're trying to communicate the truths that are taught in the Bible to the modern context. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that Paul reveals in this little section of his letter to Timothy is that he had been abandoned. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you suggested in the message on Sunday that it's a strategy to single Christians out and then pick them off one at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any contemporary example that you might be able to give of um, people suggesting that, man, if we could just get rid of the Christians, yeah. everything would be fine? Yeah. Um, you know, one organization that really helps us understand a little bit about this is the Family Research Council. Uh, almost on an annual basis, they give a report on events that are happening, particularly in the West, Western nations, and specifically in the United States, about what's going on in terms of that picking off of Christians. Uh, They just recently put out a 2024 report called Free to Believe the Intensifying Intolerance Toward Christians in the West. Feel free to Google that and look it up and see that document and you'll get lists of various countries and specific events where that has happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have to scroll down because the United States is you in the alphabet and so you have to go all the way down to get to the United States, but that's that's one. Uh, On the other side, there's books that are being written to describe Christians as the problem. You know, so for example, there's one book called Christians Against Christianity, How Right-Wing Evangelicals Are Destroying Our Nation and Our Faith. Um, a fairly recent book that's basically describing uh, biblical Christianity as the thing that's destroying Christianity. And his view of Christianity is very much of a um, kind of socialism Uh, the idea that Jesus uh, said we should all get rid of all of our private property. Those are topics that I've addressed elsewhere, particularly in the three-part series on the Christian view of economics. But uh, in in any event, people are uh, beginning to identify there's some Christians that if we just got rid of them, we would certainly be a happier society. That's kind of a scary place to be, no matter which brand of Christianity. You know, really, in a pluralistic society, as America has been for all of my lifetime, uh, there's been much more of a live and let live approach rather than destroy the other person. And that's all, uh, as we're heading into an election year, that's something that I'm seeing on the part of all sides is 
unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Uh, When Paul writes this letter to Timothy, uh, people were largely dependent uh, upon the teaching, the reading, the study of someone else in order for them to learn what they needed to learn. I mean, literacy, the availability of scrolls, you know, it's pretty limited. Uh, Anymore, the resources available to you and me and anybody else who's interested in studying the Bible are vast, right? You can Google anything. So um, isn't just me and the Bible enough? Uh, uh, why, why would we be concerned with uh, sitting under sound preaching or teaching? Yeah, What's that's a thoughts? great question. You, the Bible, and Amazon or something yeah. like that, right? <laughs> uh, and, and to be sure, let's recognize that we have a, just a, an abundance of treasure of good and bad <laughs> uh, resources. Uh, the, the challenge is that when we're isolated uh, to our own devices, we easily draw wrong conclusions. We easily become much more self-justifying. And we end up in an echo chamber where our assumptions continually get reinforced by our own thinking. This is why gathering together on Sunday morning in the company of God's people is so valuable, as I mentioned on Sunday. But I want to emphasize here that this is why all three of our pathways of discipleship are so important. ABFs and small groups, where these kinds of truths can get knocked around and fleshed out, are absolutely critical toward our spiritual growth. And I don't think that we individualistic Americans recognize enough the power of the gospel community. One of the things that I treasure so much about East White Oak is that we, I see that being lived out as small groups care for one another, as ABS seek to reach out and minister to one another, and as they knock around these hard issues that come up uh, from time to time in their study of Scripture, I think that that is something that helps us grow. You know, one of the things that I've observed is that when I look at people in our church who are engaged in all three pathways of discipleship, the problems that they have in their family and in their marriages aren't any different from the problems that people face that aren't involved in those pathways. But the answers they come up with are often markedly different. Rather than isolating themselves, they move toward other people. And those other people love them. And does that mean that their problems are solved? No, but they are able to overcome because of the power of that community. Mm-hmm. And so I just really want to emphasize that today as a big emphasis in terms of this guarding the good deposit entrusted to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that our pathways of discipleship are indeed beautiful ways in which the Holy Spirit can use to drive these truths deep inside us. Thank you, Scott. That'll do it for this episode of the Ask Scott podcast. We look forward to you joining us the next time we're together.